Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as many as had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor for all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who Everybody, good morning and welcome. It is so, so good uh, to be with you. I'm glad you're here. Welcome those of you over in East Hall and those of you who are tuning in. Uh, welcome. All right, and uh, right around 33 AD, a man named Jesus Christ was crucified and resurrected. And immediately, a small group of people began a movement, a movement that was right in the middle of a hostile government, which is something we should keep in mind. It had no economic means, no cultural influence, and yet this movement swept across the Roman Empire like a tidal wave and actually changed the world. We're taking nine weeks to look at the book of Acts. The book of Acts documents the early years of that movement. And we're taking a look at Acts because we have the hope that God would do that here. A movement right here beginning in our church and in our community and in Northeast Ohio. So Peter in Acts chapter two preaches a sermon. We looked at that last week. It wasn't a great sermon. But it was powerful, and it cut people to the heart. And we'll talk about what that means in just a minute. But because he preached, then 3,000 people began to believe in Jesus. And when I say that, what I mean is that they believed that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that they could not only have forgiveness for their sins and be reconciled to God— but that Jesus could and would change everything about them in such a way that they would become more of what they were intended to be and not what they were. We are calling that being reimagined because of Jesus. And that group of people, of 3,000 people, began to get together. And they didn't get together because they were told to, and they didn't get together because uh, there was the fine print that says when you become a Christian, you have to sacrifice every Sunday morning from now until you die. Right? They got together because they wanted to. And when they got together, that group of people, that gathering, whatever you want to call it, became the first church. 
And we are going to try to take our cues from that first church if we want to be the kind of church that Jesus wants us to be. So I want to look at three characteristics based on the passage that you just heard read. I want to look at uh, who gathered. When they got together, who was it that got together? What did they do when they got together? And then what happened as a result of getting together? Who got together? What they did when they got together? And what was the result of their getting together? First, who got together? In verse 44, it says, all who believed uh, got together, which means that all those 3,000 people. Last week, Pastor Zach told us that the crowd that Peter preached to was actually gathered because the disciples had been speaking in languages they did not know. And when they began to speak in those languages, it drew a huge crowd because it happened to be a time of year in Jerusalem where there was a festival. And so people all over the world were there. And what happened is they heard their native language, and then they came to find out what that was all about. I don't know if, don't know if that's ever happened to you. Uh, my native language is English. It's my only language. And I have been in foreign countries where everyone's speaking a particular language, and then I hear English, and I am, I am instantly drawn to it because it makes me feel less lonely. And that's what happened in Jerusalem. The disciples began to speak in these unknown languages, at least unknown to them, and people were hearing their native tongue, and so they came and they gathered, and that huge crowd then is the crowd that, that Peter preached to. And those are the 3,000 that came to know and believe in Jesus. That means that they not only spoke different languages, they were from different parts of the world, which means they had different customs, probably dressed differently, and people began to look at this crowd and think, what in the world has brought them together? Because there were people that would not hang out with each other normally. There were people that would be uh, maybe distant from each other. And they didn't form groups of like the Egyptian Christians over here and the Libyan Christians over there and the Asian Christians over there, the rich Christians and the poor Christian group or the, the slave group or the black group or the white group, or the Republican group, or the Democrat group. They were all together. And what happened is that people began to look at them and say, what is it that is such a strong common denominator that it began to melt away the walls that normally separate people? In 2016, I was on my way to a Cavs game. This was back when the Cavs were good. It was uh, the championship season. And I was stuck in traffic and, uh, you know, waiting for the pregame traffic, kind of in Euclid. And I had my Cavs shirt on, and I was right in the midst of some racial tension, which is becoming all too common in our country. But I, I looked across to the SUV next to me, and there was a black man about my age who was driving, and he had a Cavs shirt on too. It was actually the same shirt. And we looked at each other, and we locked eyes, and then he gave me one of these. He went like that. And what he was saying was this. No matter what's going on tonight, at least tonight, we're one. We're together. And that's just the calves. Imagine walking into a room where there were 50 people. 25 people had Biden and uh, Harris shirts on, and 25 people had Trump 
Pence shirts on, and they were arm in arm, and they were smiling, and they were singing together. When you came to and woke up, right? <laughs> you would ask yourself, what in the world is so strong, such a strong common denominator that, that people who were normally enemies would care for each other like that? See, that's what happened in the first church. That people began to get their identity from Jesus, not from their political views, and not from their race, and not from their success, and not from their beauty, or not from their education. And people saw a group of radically diverse people gathering together for the very first time. Paul the Apostle, who before he became a Christian, would unfriend, was the kind of person who would unfriend anyone who didn't believe exactly what he believed. He wrote this in Galatians chapter 3. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There was a Yale professor named uh, Kenneth Scott Latouré. And Dr. Latouré was trying to, he uh, wrote uh, a paper and then a book about uh, kind of why Christianity succeeded as a movement when every other movement that began in the first century died out rather quickly. But Christianity swept through the Roman Empire and exists even to this day. And I think it was the fourth reason that he cited what he called the radical inclusiveness of Christianity. And this is what he wrote. The one tenable explanation of Christianity's inclusiveness was probably the, its teaching of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. For if Jesus was not a teacher showing the way to salvation, but the Son of God who accomplished salvation, then members of both sexes and all races, the learned and the unlearned, the high and the low, the able and the non-able, might all be able to share in the salvation made possible in Christ. That's the first thing. When we look at who gathered, if we're going to be that kind of a church, the kind of church that Jesus started in the first century, then we have to be the kind of church where we draw such a strong identity from Jesus that it melts away the barriers that normally divide people and we become a gathering of radically diverse, unique people. All right? That's the first thing. The second thing I want to look at is what they did when they got together. What they did when they got together. And this is uh, from verse 42 through 44. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. All right. It says they, they devoted themselves to the apostles. They did three things, really. They learned, they loved, and they worshiped. When they got together, they did those three things. They learned, they loved, and they worshiped. First, they learned. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching now has been codified, and we call it the New Testament. That's what you have, right? And what happened was that they devoted, when it says they devoted themselves, it means that not, they not only listened to it, they not only studied it, they actually did it. And the reason I say they did it 
is because in verse 37 it says they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And what that means is that they looked at the apostles' teaching and they let the apostles' teaching do something to them that nothing else had been able to do. If you're going to be cut by something, it has to be stronger and harder than you are, right? If I have a a banana, a banana will not cut me. But if I go in for surgery and the surgeon is eating a banana, or has a banana, I can assume that he's not going to use that to actually cut me open. He's going to eat it. Because a banana is not harder or stronger or sharper than my body. But a knife is. And the knife can cut me. And the reason a knife can cut me is because it's harder and sharper than I am. So what happened to the early church is that they decided that the the apostles' teaching, the Bible, was going to be harder and stronger than what was already in their hearts. And there was something already in their hearts. There's always something in your heart. (laughs) Every human being, everyone you have ever known, everyone you will ever know, wants to be happy. They have a plan. They're trying to be happy. They're trying to find fulfillment. No one in this world has a goal of being miserable. Nobody. The people that you look at that you think have that goal of being miserable somehow are trying to be happy by being miserable. That's probably too much psychology for this morning. But everybody wants to be happy, and everybody has an idea of what they need in order to make themselves happy. And what happened is that this group of people, when they gathered, they said, you know what, from now on, Whatever the apostles' teaching is, whatever Scripture says, whatever God says, we are going to do. We will allow that to have authority over what we really want in our hearts. And what happened was interesting. When whatever the Bible said, whatever the apostles said about, let's say, sexuality, they said, that's what we'll do. Whatever the Bible said about money, they said, that's what we'll do. And the early church was actually known for having, being very generous with their pantries and very stingy with their bedrooms. That was the saying that somebody came up with, that Christians were generous with pantries and stingy. And the reason that they said that is because it was the exact opposite of the Greco-Roman culture. The Greco-Roman culture was very much like our culture. It said in order to be happy, and the the message was all over the culture, in order to be happy, you need to, to, you know, just find yourself and be as sexually active as you want to be as long as you're not hurting anybody. But with your your money, you keep your money because you need your money to try to be happy. The Christians did the exact opposite. They said, we're going to be free with our money, and you saw it in this passage. But they said, we're going to only use, we're only going to enjoy sex in the boundaries that the Bible puts together, which is between a man and a woman in the covenant called marriage. And that was in every aspect of their lives, that they would give their authority, they would submit the authority to Scripture. And this is how you know, by the way, and I know you come and you listen to God's Word because you are here right now, but the way you know whether you are treating the Bible like it's a banana or like it's a knife is when the Bible comes into contradiction with what you really want, how you really want to live your life. And if you ever say, find yourself saying, I know that's what Jesus says, I know that's what the Bible says, but 
I really think this will make me happy. I really think I want to do this. And you do it. You're treating it like a banana. And it will never really change you. Then you have authority over the Bible. Whenever you have authority over the Bible, whenever it disagrees with you, you'll go with you. But if you're here and you're going to treat it like a knife, what you say is every time that it disagrees with you and you find yourself going, oh, this is what I really want to do or this is what I really don't want to do and the Bible says this is what you should do or shouldn't do and you say, I'm going to go with the Bible. I'm going to let that have authority. Then you're treating it like a knife and has the possibility of cutting you to the heart and that's when you can really be changed. So that's the first thing is that when these people got together, they learned. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Then they loved says in that same kind of sentence that they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship is a horizontal thing. It's with relationship with other people. Uh, submitting to the authority of Scripture, that's a vertical thing. But this is the way they loved each other. This is from verse 44. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. <laughs> How awesome would that be? To gather with people who all had glad and generous hearts. When was the last time you were with any group of people and none of them complained about anything? None of them was, you know, they, were bitter, they weren't bitter. What they were, every person in the room, in the little gathering that you're a part of, had glad and generous hearts. That'd be a blast. I was uh, visiting a community group last week, and there was lots of food and lots of laughter. And as I sat and listened to them, what I realized is that this was a group of people that had learned to love each other. They prayed for each other. They knew about each other's lives. I could tell that by the way they talked about each other's families. And when I left, when I drove away, I was smiling and thinking, that, that group of people, they're going to be okay. I mean, something could happen to one of them and they would call me but by the time I could get to any of their homes the driveway would already be full of cars there would be food on the counters inside and people would be there because they loved each other I was thinking about what the Roman Empire was like when the church started the Roman Empire was a very very cruel place 30 to 40 percent of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves lots of poverty Lots of cruelty. I mean, there were, there were children, babies that were being abandoned. It was a terrible place. And in that environment, these pockets of people began to pop up who were gathering with glad and generous hearts. No wonder this swept across the Roman Empire. Do you know what it would be like to be a part? It'd be like living your life in black and white and then seeing just vivid color, a group of people in vivid color over here, and you go, I want to be a part of them. This is why we are so passionate when we talk about reimagine, about circles, about what we call community groups. Because if you could ever get into a pocket of people like that, you would have joy and strength and compassion and care. Like when these people got together, there was a reason that they had glad and generous hearts. And the short answer is Jesus. But the longer answer is this. You cannot give what you do not have. Right? That's just a basic kind of uh, truth. You cannot give what you do not have. But when you have an abundance of something, it's hard not to let it flow out of you and give it. 
And you cannot forgive unless you've been forgiven. But when you've been forgiven the way Jesus has forgiven you, then you cannot help but forgive. You cannot love unless you have been loved. But when you have been loved the way Jesus loves you, then that love will flow out of you into other people. And what happened in the early church was these people began to realize when they got together in these little circles, in these little pockets, that they didn't have to be the smartest person in the room. They didn't have to be the most beautiful person. They didn't have to be the most successful person in the world because they were already loved. They were already cared for. They were already loved by, they were fully known and fully loved by Jesus. You know what happens when you finally realize you are fully known and fully loved by Jesus? You get a glad and generous heart. That's the second thing. They learned, they loved, and finally they worshiped. They worshiped. This is what it says. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul. At first it says they're, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, each, to the fellowship and then the breaking of bread. When they say the breaking of bread, that's what we now call communion. It was a time when they took bread and they took wine and they celebrated, they remembered who Jesus was and what he did. And they did that whenever they were together. Beginning in January, we're going to do that at every service. We're going to start taking communion because it is the white hot center. It's the core of what it means to be a Christian, to think about what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection, and to worship him because of that. And then that second thing it says, an awe fell upon everyone. That word awe is the word to describe worship. What it means is that when they got together, they, were, they would be able to think about God, uh, his goodness and his mercy and his compassion and his power and his beauty. And what flowed out of them was awe. One of the things that we use with worship here is music, right? But th- there's a, the problem with music is your ear. And what I mean that, by that, I mean your particular ear. Because we all have preferences, right? We all have tastes. Everyone has a preference, has a taste when it comes to music. And when we separate music from worship, what will happen is you'll come in and sometimes you'll go, ah, that music, that's good. Or you'll go, ah, that music, that's bad, right? But there's something else when it's connected to worship. When you get to heaven, when we all get to heaven, I think we're going to have different ears. I mean, not like, (laughs) let me rephrase that. I think we're going to have, our ears will be what they're intended to be which means that when you hear music, worship, you will really worship. And this is why I think that has to happen. I cannot imagine getting to heaven and having Indian worship music be the worship music that comes through the loudspeakers in heaven. I can't imagine that Chinese worship music will be the kind of music that comes through the loudspeakers in heaven. But there are more Indian and Chinese Christians in the world than there are American Christians. So why would that not be the case? And if that's the case, then my ear better change. And what happens, what, this is my theory. I think what will happen in heaven is that music will actually bounce off of God, be flavored by God, and come back to us. So that when we hear it, we will hear something about God's beauty and his majesty and his power and his love. There was something in the early church 
where even though they were from every, every area in the world, even though they had different customs, different tastes, different preferences, when they got together, there was an ability that they had to focus on God in such a way that what flowed out of them was worship. If you have ever watched a sunset at the beach, as, it, as the sun goes down and it's exploding in all those colors, if you watch that, sometimes you just get quiet. And if you're standing next to somebody, you want to just pull them and watch it together. That's what the early church did. When the early church gathered together, there were just this radically inclusive bunch of people, this radically diverse bunch of people. And then when they got together, they learned, they loved, and they worshiped. The last thing is when I look at what happened, what was the result when they gathered together? This is what it says in verse 44 or 47. It says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Two things happened. One, they got favor. They were gaining favor with all the people, which means in the community around them, and then they, the Lord added to their number. All right, first, when they got favor, what that means is that because they were living with glad and generous hearts, there was something that was happening where people were around the community going, wow, they're amazing. You probably, if you've been here coming, been coming any length of time, you probably heard me say that I would love to be the kind of church, I've always wanted to be the kind of church that the people who are driving by right now are looking at our church and they're saying, you know, I may never go there, but I hope they never leave because they're so good for the community. And I want to be that because of this because that's the way the early church was. Listen, I, when you hear us do stuff like just because cards, and we encourage you to do that, or we bless the community in some way, or we fill Thanksgiving baskets and hand them out, we're not doing that for PR. We're doing that because that's what the church has always done. Because when we do that, what happens is we gain favor with all the people. And then what happens, according to this, is that the Lord added to their number daily. That means people who are not Christians were becoming Christians in the midst of the gathering. You know, when we welcome visitors every service, when we say, listen, if you're visiting, I want you to know that we have been thinking about you, we have been praying for you. We say that because we expect people to be coming who are not Christians. When you hear me stop in the middle of a sermon and say, listen, if you are here and you are not yet a Christian, it's because we expect you to be bringing friends and family members and neighbors and fellow students who do not know Jesus here because this is where they will find him and he will find them. Listen, if we are going to become the kind of church that Jesus wants us to be. The early church, the first church, was not a bunch of Christians who were just intent on being themselves and, and growing deeper and becoming mature. It was a raucous celebration of joy where it was multiplying all the time. That's the movement that swept across the Roman Empire. That's the kind of church we want to be. And if we're going to be that kind of church, there has to be a, a way that we begin to get our identity from Jesus in such a way that it's greater than any other part of our identity. It's greater than our race. It's greater than our political leaning. 
It's stronger than anything so that we can become this radical, inclusive group of people. And then when we gather together, we're going to learn. We're going to put ourselves under the authority of Scripture. We're going to love each other in circles and groups. And we're going to worship. And by doing that, I feel like God will give us favor with the community. And then God willing, he will be adding to his number in this church and every gospel-preaching church in Northeast Ohio if God so desires to start that movement right here, right now, beginning with us. And that's what we pray for. Would you go ahead and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we uh, come to you, and I am so, so grateful. I'm grateful not not just for what you have done in uh, my life and what you've done in so many people who are right here, right now, but I'm grateful that you uh, allow us to look back to the first church and that it was documented in the book of Acts and that we can take our cues from the first church and try to become what you want us to be. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love you in such a way that the barriers that divide people normally will melt away and that people will look at us and be surprised and wonder what it is that holds us together. I pray that you would help us to become a group that learns together and loves each other and then worships. And then, Lord, our prayer is that you'd be glorified in the way that you add to our number those who are being saved and that you do it regularly and daily. Please, for your sake, for your glory. Amen.